listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. Thank you for listening. The Infinite Smile Sangha is made possible by the generosity of friends, members, and people who have been touched by this teaching. Please visit our donations page at infinitesmile.org to help us continue our efforts in spreading the Dharma. There was a, uh, a great contemporary sage in India named Sri Ramana Maharshi, who uh, lived in the first part of the 20th century. And his legacy is pretty massive, pretty massive. A lot of great teachers come from his uh, influence. Among them, Gangaji, I think she does great work, great work, and her teacher, Papaji. And um, Papaji was... uh, a young devotee of uh, Ramana, and India was flying apart at the seams. And his family was in great jeopardy, and Ramana Maharshi asked Punja, why aren't you going to help your family? And he said, well, it's all illusory. And this is one of the great traps of this practice, that we make the mistake that this life that we lead is just, it's illusory, so who cares? In fact, uh, the more that we engage in this practice, the more steadiness we generate, the more we can deal with how life will actually hurt more. Stillness practice helps us feel more of life, not less. It hurts more. And it feels better. There's a greater intensity. There's a, uh, a boost in our sense experience. Most human beings want to avoid that at all costs. And so they make this bargain with themselves that, oh, well then, nothing matters. So, Ramana told him You need to help your family. You need to go help your family. Similarly, one could find it very easy at this point just to decide not to vote. Just to decide, oh well, it's all illusory. Those poor children in the Congo, oh well. To a degree, It's important that we look 
at the temporary nature of life in this capacity because it helps us helps us recognize what a gift just this rainy evening is. But there's also more. This practice is about getting involved, knowing full well that everything is temporary. Everything is temporary. And we're reminded of this painfully this week. Some of you may know that our Dharma brother Jerry Egan passed away this last week. Uh, and uh, Jerry was a <laughs> spectacular human being on all sorts of different levels, coming at this practice quite late. And um, he shared with me on many occasions how, you know, I, you know I, I got into this late, but I got into this because of the pain that I was feeling. And he was so frustrated because he says, I wanted a way out of the pain, and you're telling me to experience, experience it. And I said, yeah, sorry. He says, well, okay. And I'll be damned if this guy didn't just go for it. That's a practitioner. When somebody just decides, I've got nothing left to lose. When they decide, I'm ready. I'm ready to be still. I'm ready to look at the illusion of life and my perception of what's real in life and let them fight it out. And I'm also willing to open to whatever's beyond that battle. And so, as much as many of us will miss young Jerry, I'm sure he'd like it if I called him young Jerry, he can serve as something quite uh, magical for each of us in this work. Especially since he reminds us of the temporary nature of all things. That just this moment is so precious. Just this moment is the last cookie in the cookie jar. Just this moment is a kiss to be savored because you don't know when you'll see the beloved again. So tonight when we sit for 30 or so minutes, please, in honor of Jerry, practice with that kind of immediacy. Practice with that kind of purpose, with that kind of resolve, with that kind of care. Practice 
with a willingness to let this Sangha act as a chrysalis so that you can go from caterpillar to butterfly. There's an ancient text in Buddhism called the Dhammapada, which essentially means the, the correct path. Um, now, whether or not it's the correct path, of course, is for you to decide, but one of the lines in it, I believe it's, I think it's chapter 20. Uh, I know I'm going to sound really scholarly by saying that, but uh, uh, there's this line in there that I've always thought was so so interesting that kind of defines this idea of these, these, these snares that grab us as we're trying to climb this mountain of spirit. Here shall I dwell in the season of rains and here in winter and summer. Thus thinks the fool, but he does not think of death. In other words, I'll say it again. Keep, keep this in mind. It's a really great little pointer. Here shall I dwell in the season of rains and here in the winter and summer. Thus thinks the fool, but he does not think of death. In other words, it's the one thing we never really plan for. It's something, in fact, that we avoid constantly. We oftentimes will even avoid thinking about it because, boy, that might, you know... Luck might turn against us. Um, I would encourage that you think about it with your whole mind and feel it with your whole heart. That way, when it shows up for any of us, we've already gone through the major process of staring down the clinging associated with it. And in doing that, any threat of loss becomes a gateway to awakening. So I'll, I'll kind of just start there. Just every one of us here. Uh, I, I brought up the idea of, of Jerry before. I mean, Jerry's loss is an opening for each of us. Any of us in this room who have had a, a friend, a relative, or our own bodies that have kind of started to go a direction that our minds don't want them to go, that can either be a point of closure for us or a point of awakening. You get to decide. You get to decide.
once again, do the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune open us or do they actually close us down? And in this practice, it's about opening to them. So what gets in our way of letting that happen? Well, we're usually confined very much by fear. And we're fear of one very simple, elemental, basic uh, thing, and that is loss. We are governed by the fear of loss. And it takes on perhaps many different forms, but it's usually like the, the fear of loss of, of life, of, uh, of, of health, of loved one, loss of mind. That, of course, might be health, but you get the idea, loss of mind, loss of community, loss of reputation or standing. We fear that. And so we build lives around protecting <coughs> its permanence. We build lives around protecting a permanence. The permanence of our status, the permanence of our minds, the permanence of our bodies, the permanence of our relationships. The per you get the idea? And so what we do is we create this scaffolding, this structure around that, and then we start to cling to things that we see will probably help us maintain that. And we resist the things that will get it or will compromise that structure. We will resist the things that remind us that loss is the law of the universe. It's fundamental. In other words, we can't protect anything permanently. There's no such thing. And so human beings go through this process of recognizing, oh, I can't keep that either. Oh, I can't keep that either. Oh, I can't keep, right, you get the idea. And so the higher we climb and the more stillness we actually incorporate into our life, the less permanence takes any type of offers us, I should say, any type of solace, because we know it isn't there. So knowing that, how do we live, becomes the question. Knowing that all things will be taken, how do we then live? And instead of this being uh, a tragic or, um, you know, an emotionally oppressive message or something like that, it's actually quite a beautiful way of being opened by life's chaos as opposed to closed closed by it. We let the scaffolding go. We let the scaffolding go. And yet we still totally engage in life. But we engage in life from a place of total defenselessness. We do not defend a position because we recognize that there is no position that we have taken. In fact, we are opening to the whole thing. There's no division between in here and out there. I and everything else, it starts to shake 
loose. And the level of comfort, even in the face of disaster, begins to show us something. The level of peace, even in the middle of war, begins to show us something bigger, begins to take us out of our confined, egoic or small self reality and crack us open into something that is much bigger with far more options when it comes to being in the world. We start sensing our infinite nature And we see that it is identical to everybody else's. We see that another's happiness is our own. Another's loss is our own. That's wisdom. And then when that wisdom turns into activity, when that wisdom informs activity, that is compassion. It's an unattached love. It's a love that is so deep and so rich that it's not possessive. It has no needs. Except it's always calling to express itself. And that's mostly why people keep doing this practice. Because there's something there. Something pulling me. And this compassion is actually nothing other than the universe expressing itself. The universe expanding. The universe is expanding in an ever-increasing clip, if we look at the physics of it. If we're part of the universe, it would make total sense that we are also being asked to expand. Let go. Let go. Let go and then engage from that surrender. So what keeps that from happening? What keeps that... Uh, what, uh, <laughs> what keeps that opportunity uh, in the dark? I'd say there's just a couple of things I wanted to throw your direction and see where it, it lands with you. Um, Number one, we become obsessed with our spiritual practice. That is the number one, <laughs> the number one thing we can become obsessed with. Our, in other words, we turn our spiritual practice into a thing. And we festoon and decorate it in our hearts and minds. It becomes not only sacred because of its infinite nature, but it becomes sacred because we've turned it into something we grasp and we don't want it taken away. When that happens, all we've done is we've added more scaffolding. We've added more bricks and a lot of really good mortar to hold everything in place when our spiritual practice becomes a point of obsession, when it becomes almost like an addiction Okay. Now, does that mean that you should just 
willy-nilly, let spiritual practice go into the night. Sit if you want, don't sit if you don't want. Woo-hoo. No, it doesn't mean that actually. It actually means let the temporary nature of all things, let death and its inevitability inform your practice. You'll find there's a whole different quality to the work when that happens. It, it no longer becomes uh, <laughs> it no longer becomes kind of a hobby. You know? It's not a hobby. Stillness becomes the life force underneath all the activity. It becomes that flow. And so there's really, there's not a choice about it. It's choiceless activity that is met with our full awareness. The other one is attaching to experiences. When we cling to experiences, Let's say in this room you've had an experience of uh, meeting the absolute, let's say. Let's say you had a, uh, a moment when uh, you t- touched the face of God. And uh, that's why you're here in this room sitting with all of us. Well, congratulations, that's great. Please let go of it. Okay? Uh, God's face will continue to radiate even more beautifully if you let go of it. If you let go of your experiences on the cushion where, wherein you might uh, be just taken away by the bliss. That's marvelous. Wonderful. Now let go of it. I remember it was so, uh, so interesting. This was right as we were starting this sangha. And we were meeting uh, in a place, I know I've described this to you before, some of you remember, the, uh, we, we had a, um, a dog obedience training outside the window where we were sitting in meditation. And of course, the running joke that always hit us was you would hear them say, sit. You know? <laughs> and what are you going to do? I mean, here we are, a bunch of meditators just, you know, okay. <laughs> but... There was this beautiful moment with, with uh, one, one of the practitioners who, who uh, I met with in a, a, a practice discussion. And in the interview, he said, uh, I, I'd only seen him one or, one or two times before, but he said, I, I, uh, something happened. And I was like, oh, wonderful, tell me about it. And, and he started to describe this beautiful opening that clearly had, uh, you know, really kind of shaken him. And, um, and I just kind of sat there and I said, well, make sure that you, you don't cling to that. And his response was, what do you mean don't cling to it? I said, well, it's important that you allow for that experience to just point to what's truth and don't confuse it with truth itself. Let the experience point you towards the ultimate or absolute. Don't confuse it with the ultimate or absolute. He never showed up again. I never saw his face again. And that's okay. That's okay. You know? But it's just, it's, the ego is looking for something. 
And my point is that this is yet again a snare. This, this is something as we climb the mountain of spirit that will invariably get in our way if we start clinging to physical experiences. Same thing goes for the third one here. Trying to speed things up. Now I joke around about how it takes 10,000 hours. Um, that's not true. It only takes this moment. But most people don't even get a sense of what this present moment is for about 10,000 hours. Now, it, my guess is it's not going to take you that long to start flirting with the um, truth beyond name and form. That's my sense. And I, I'm, I'm, I could be totally wrong, but uh, as, I, as I start dialoguing with, with students, I start recognizing this really powerful resonance that just starts making sense. And I think a lot of it making sense in, in, in a way beyond mind. I know that sounds bizarre, but just stick with me here. 10,000 hours is, is what the old Chinese proverb would say. And the way I've always equated uh, uh, integrating an awakened uh, experience into our day-to-day -day is similar to going from chopsticks on the piano to Rachmaninoff. How long does it take you to get to Rachmaninoff? Um, and that might be a little harsh, and it might make you feel like you want to give up. I would encourage you, don't. Don't give up, okay? Everybody wants to hear that music. Everybody wants to hear that music. And while it may not take that long, it, it is, I think, um, uh, there's a direct correlation uh, between number of hours that are spent on the cushion in stillness with an intention behind those hours, an intention that carves out a mindset of, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be still. I'm going to meet my true nature. I want to open to what is totally. I'm going to let go of everything and see what happens. The other thing that gets in our way is when we start hitting the plateau. We start wondering, you know, I'm going through a dry spell. You know, when I first started my practice, everything was kind of cool. I, had a, I suddenly started to feel real quiet and calm and everything was peaceful and groovy and kumbaya. Yahoo! It was great initially. And then it, it started to dry up. long night of the, you know, the dark night of the soul, I should say, the long dark night of the soul. And people will oftentimes turn at that point in their practice and bail. So just, and it's so hard to watch that happen from this cushion because that's when they know enough that it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt, you know, they're at the point where life hurts more. Life feels better. And life hurts more. Everything's more intense, but they have negated the practice because they haven't been able to see themselves through this walk through the desert. 
every one of us will go through that. Some of you may be right in the middle of it now, and I want to encourage you. It's okay. It's okay. It's just more to let go of. Just like the bliss dates, more to let go of. Similarly, those dry spells, more to let go of. Okay? The other thing is falling. Falling back, sitting on our couch or our cushion and just dissolving there. And just kind of saying, ah, it's all karma, it's all, everything's fine. Back to my original point of, of uh, uh, Papaji, the way he just initially told Ramana, no, I'm not going to go, my family, it's, you know, it's all illusory. Ramana's response, more or less, was, well, so is this. This is illusory too. Go help your family. We can't check out. Checking out, in other words, you, I take that back. You can. You're allowed to check out. But it's an impediment, a massive, massive impediment to this process. Check in. Check in with your full being and watch what happens. And then let go of that. So listen. Listen deeply to what's happening, what's going on within you. Listen very carefully to what's underneath what others are telling you. Don't judge it. Just listen. Listen to your heart's deepest longing. Listen to your pain. Listen to your pleasure. Listen to grief. Listen to joy. Be a part of this experience. As uh, Deepak Chopra has made so famous the, the line, be a human being, not a human doing. That happens when we listen. It happens when we laugh. Please remember to laugh. Remember to sing. Remember to smile. Remember that this whole thing is an adventure. Every bit of it. Even when there is loss. It may be loss in this moment, but it is also the onset of a brand new adventure. Even in grief. And then lastly... I would say, please learn the art of balance. I'm saying this to myself also. Learn where the extremes in your life are. Scale back, pull back from those extremes. The idea is that the, uh, you know, Life looks prettier from the edge. The view is much better from the edge. The view is beautiful just as it is. 
you don't need to do anything to the view to make it any more powerful. Use your discriminating awareness in relationship to this, this balance, this idea of balance. Know what's really going on. Know when you're getting too thin. Know when you're getting lazy, sloth-like. Know those things. Meet them. Find their source. And keep practicing. Cheers. <laughs>
keep your attention absolutely focused on what keeps coming back and know that it'll go away and know that every time you give it your full awareness you will diminish its intensity every single time because instead of instead of the feeling coming back and the ego running with it and going all right we're going to avoid this and we're going to put up more bricks okay instead of that it becomes wow that is intense that is incredibly intense that is amazing huh in other words the bricks start falling at that point okay so that we get to a place where no matter how tragic the news or how amazingly cool the news might be there is a certain steadiness in our approach to our next move our next move to whatever comes over the airwaves okay our next move is one that is fueled with grace and ease as opposed to tension clutching you know fear anxiety and what happens then well then we start living a life that's in balance where laughter happens a little bit more easily where we can listen truly listen you know to what is without trying to run away from anything at the same time we're not trying to throw ourselves you know do a cannonball into the cauldron of hell you know we're not trying to do that either um but if we have to we do but what is that part of us that wants to keep running i mean i know it's obviously the ego but why why would our mind want to make us keep reliving pain or uh-huh. or make up a story about what could have happened that would have even even been worse right because then it keeps its job Yeah. No, not only does it have something to do, it has something to fix. It has something to run from. It has something it has anything but stillness. Anything. Because the minute there is stillness, the universe kicks down the door with a giant smile. And the ego does not want that because then it will not be the boss. the universe then becomes the boss and it takes not only second chair in the you know in the orchestra it's off the stage only as a bit player to the music that you know happens without any rehearsal it just becomes trivial it doesn't want that so what it'll do is it'll take someone else's unconsciousness and it'll glue to it all right say so see I have worth. I can oppose that. Or what if that maybe if I oh god, oh god, right? Right? And then and what the ego has done is it's created job security in that moment. Okay? I think it might last years. But it can be upended in one moment. and that moment is when we give our full presence and our full attention to actually what's going on and instead of oh this sucks or this is shitty it becomes huh wow totally difference total excuse me a total difference in our experience
You're very welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Does it happen after 10,000 hours? <laughs> I, I, you're going to have to tell me. So I'd love to zap that thing. Like, the, the unconsciousness? Yeah, I'd love to put it in its place. Yeah, d do that by making friends with it. It's okay. It's just doing its job. It's doing its job. It's not. It's not a. It's not something that should be eradicated or killed or anything like that. The ego. The ego has absolutely a marvelous. It's. It's as beautiful as a flower. It is as. A, it is as beautiful as. Okay, okay, I saw something amazing. I saw a freshman boy. <laughs> a freshman boy. At, and it's hard to think of a freshman boy being beautiful, really. But this kid, this kid is going up to a sophomore girl and asking her to the homecoming dance. Okay? He was maybe five feet tall. She had to have been pushing six feet. Okay? And watching that moment unfold, you know, he's at the locker, and he is scared to death, and it shows, and she starts realizing what's going on, and doesn't know whether to be scared to death like he is, because it's so contagious, unconsciousness is so contagious, and he was right in the middle of ego, and right in the middle of ego saying, do it. Ask her now, right? You know what I mean? And, and by golly, if I didn't fumble with my keys a little longer, you know, what's she going to say, you know? She said no. She said no. What did I do? What did he do? What did he do? He said, oh, okay, yeah, you know, that's all right. That's all right. And her response was, oh, gosh, you know, I'd love to, but, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I already said yes to so-and-so or whatever. Um, I, of course, pulled the kid over afterwards, and I said, you know what? You, you became a man in that moment. And he, he just stiffened up a little bit. Oh, thanks. What, what's your name? <laughs> yeah, I'm just the teacher. I'm just the teacher. Yeah. But you know, you understand what I'm saying. I mean, the, the the beauty of that was just that. I mean, we we have to use these. We can't get through life without an ego. What we want to do is let the ego be something that isn't as important. And that happens whenever we start recognizing, oh, there's more. <laughs> there's more to this whole story. There's more, there's more to this, and, and we see that as we sit still. We see that as we practice with our full hearts and minds. I feel it a little more as I've been practicing Great. quite a bit, actually. Great. And ironically, I should bring him. I'm pretty sure I talked to you. Mm -hmm. Jerry was a gentleman over here. Yeah, yeah. With pretty thick glasses, mm -hmm. yeah? Okay. Mm -hmm. He's the one that turned me on to the song. He would go to Tuesday nights over at... Um, Unity Church, and he'd be there, and he saw that I was getting into it, and he says, you know, you got, uh, oh my God. you got to go to the song, you got to check this out, yeah. and I'm like, okay, cool, it's close by, great, and uh, he's like, yeah, Mike McAllister, and I'm like, McAllister, <laughs> last name McAllister, it's not like, Achen, 
No, it's just a, just a Celtic, normal Celtic name. So, anyway, I thought I should throw that out there for, for Jerry, because, uh, and now I, yeah, I remember, you know, talking yeah. with him quite, actually quite a bit. Yeah. Um, over there, and that's how he got me over here. Well. So, there you go. The beat goes on. Um. There's a memorial service for Jerry. This Wednesday, I put a note up on the uh, on the stand. Uh, it's a drop-in, so uh, any of you that feel compelled, uh, I, I have no idea what the what the family situation is like right now, but I do know that this was an incredibly powerful force in his life. The last the last year of his life, this was huge, and um, uh, you all played a part in that. You all played a part in it. Part in it. Um, I feel so lucky. And he got you here too. <laughs> Bodhisattva. Yeah.